0: Hi, everyone. I'm Mark Robison. I'm a candidate for the North Carolina State Senate representing Charlotte's District 39. I'm also your host for the Elephant in the Room podcast, and this is where we tackle issues that are on people's minds but may not be talked much about uh, out in the daily discourse until now, of course. Um, today, we are going to revisit the education system in North Carolina, Mecklenburg County, We're even going to touch on our national education system. Now, as I began contemplating running for the North Carolina Senate, doing the digging, I found that anybody running for this office that doesn't know uh, that education is paramount uh, doesn't know the job description because fully 60 percent, actually it's a little more than 60 percent of North Carolina's annual state budget goes to education. And that is roughly about $15 billion. That's broken up into uh, $10 billion for K through twelve. Uh, around $4 billion for the university system and about $1 billion for the community colleges. Now, uh, CMS, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools, is by far the largest school system in North Carolina and gets a very large part of its $2.2 billion budget from the state of North Carolina. So I guess a question I asked immediately, why, with such a huge budget, is CMS failing our children so dramatically. And to put color on that, I'll just tell you, 62 schools in CMS are rated D or below. Teachers and students are leaving in droves. So my guest is an expert in this area. He joins us. His name is Marty McCarthy. He is the president of Regent Schools and the Cornerstone Education Foundation, Incorporated. Marty, thank you so much for being with me this morning. Thank you,
1: Mark. It's my pleasure.
0: So, Marty, can you just give us, uh, the listeners, a quick resume? I know a lot about you. You You've done some amazing things, but my listeners might not. Uh, What have you been doing in the education field for the last couple of
1: decades? Well, Mark, I came to Charlotte in 95 to be the pastor of an Episcopal church, which was a great joy for me. St. John's Episcopal is absolutely a wonderful church. Yeah. But shortly into my uh, tenure there, I experienced a calling. Anyone on the program who's religious would understand what a calling is. Right. And it required me, led me to start a school. Uh, so I initiated Trinity Episcopal School in the first ward of Center City, Charlotte. Absolutely. And I did that by gathering up a board of people. Uh, my work was to gather a board, lay out the vision and mission, and then push. Uh, I moved the school or put the school uh, by a decision the board chairman ted rast and i made in first ward which at the time was a gangbanger neighborhood uh and it led to the transformation of that community absolutely and if you will a deep uh deeply racially integrated school with huge academic outcomes for children uh such that even though it's a k-8 i've had inner city families tell me their kid got a full ride at places like duke or davidson because oh, wow. of that little school wow. Uh, then I, I read all like many guys who build things uh, we read the instruction manual after we do it uh, <laughs> and uh, somebody handed Guilty. me a book. Yeah. Guilty. <laughs> somebody <laughs> handed me a book that led me to read a uh, half a dozen books I'd be glad to give anyone a reading list uh, in the renewing emerging classical movement which governed the western world until about 1960s 70s as classical education was pushed aside and progressive education moved in. Um, So I then formed some more schools, one serving Asperger's children, primarily, though not exclusively, called the Epiphany School, and now two public charter schools, uh, Unity Classical and Bonnie Cone Classical Academy, uh, and have another one that will open next year under the charter of Bonnie Cone Classical Academy, so I do not have to do all the heavy lifting, uh, just oversee that from the board perspective. So I have a lot of background in education that I never thought I'd have, even though twice I almost finished my doctoral studies, but got sidetracked of building another school. Oh, wow. So that's my background. You know,
0: we, of course, I mentioned that CMS uh, has got 62 failing schools. Um, Let me zoom out for a second with you. You obviously have got a lot of experience in this in Mecklenburg County. However, uh, I'd like to think that you probably have got a pretty good view of of how it is not only in the United States, but globally. And I just I, I heard a statistic. Is it true? Is it true that American K through 12 education is in the bottom quartile? of the developed nations
1: of the world? Uh, That is reported by the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, and I believe that's a United Nations organization. It ranks the K-12 experience among all the developed nations of the world. We have slipped now to the bottom quartile. You will find that also evidenced to you in a book by E.D. Hirsch titled The Many Americans, uh, subtitled Democracy and Schools. Mr. Hirsch is a University of Virginia scholar that led to the redevelopment or was significant player in the redevelopment of classical education in America, such that he built a core knowledge sequence, not common core, rather a core knowledge sequence, which develops cultural literacy and an appreciation for all that is true, good and beautiful. And that develops the, if you will, the character and the soul, you could say, of the student. Such that they learn how to become an active uh, citizen, uh, a a person of great integrity, uh, a person who understands a good work ethic, a person who understands self-fulfillment and personal industry. Uh, Those are the people that have made America uh, a virtuous place that people seek to come to from all over the world. Uh, Even if it's a little clouded right now, it's still a wonderful country that people seek to come to. So, yes, uh, according to the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, our schools are in the bottom quartile of the developed nations of the world. Now, a footnote for you, Mark 25 years ago, and this is an example of what can be done. Right. 25 years ago, a man named Joseph Mamoni left Wall Street saying it's not all about piling up money, It's there are more important things in life. So, he went to Rutherford County, North Carolina, and opened up a classical charter school called Thomas Jefferson Classical Academy. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Just west of here. Yeah, just west of here. He did that over the uh, active resistance of the school board. Uh, They did not want somebody coming into their county and trying to do something like that. Uh, I don't know why, but nonetheless, that was the circumstance. Uh, He persisted 20 years later. This would now be about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. Mm -hmm. U.S. News and World Report said, his school was one of the 150 best schools in America. Think about that.
0: A man with no uh, background in, education, in the educational system, but in
1: Wall Street. Yes. And what he did is he followed the classical curriculum. Remember when James Carville used, used to speak and try to help Bill Clinton get elected? And he was very effective at doing that. And he'd say, it's the economy, stupid. Oh, yes. It's the economy, stupid. I'm saying well, that a lot
0: now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, I don't say that to but a few people in the context of education. And I'll say it's the curriculum, stupid. Yeah. I say it politely and deferentially, but it is the curriculum. Uh, because a classical curriculum teaches you how to learn and how to think, not what to learn and what to think. And if you ask, ask the futurists and the economists, to whom does the future belong? Much as you could say back in the 1800s, most of us made a living from manual labor. In the 20th century, latter half of the 20th century, uh, the better living came from being a knowledge worker. Mm -hmm. The future does not belong to the knowledge worker. The future belongs to the learning worker because technology so impacts the workplace. It impacts everything you do, Mark. It so impacts the workplace that if you do not know how to think, you will not be able to move into the changes that are coming at you instead they will overwhelm you and you will be dead in the water how to think? yeah so the key to a future is how to think and how to learn not what to think and what to learn and there's only one model of education that teaches you how to think and how to learn and that's called classical because it's designed that way it works with brain development if you go back to the 1940s dorothy sayers was the first female phd to graduate from oxford when women entered higher education, she hung out with people whose names you know—C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, absolutely. Chester, and she made her living as a murder mystery writer, but she's a brilliant lady, uh, and she wrote something your listeners can pull off the internet uh, tonight and read. It's twenty pages called "The Lost Tools of Learning." In there, she de- described in a very nineteen forties English writing style that she feared education was going from the high classical norm of teaching you how to think to the low functional norm of teaching you what to think. We have arrived at that place in our public school systems all over America because our system was designed for an industrial age. It has not kept up the fact that we've already moved through the information age we're moving into the learning age. So if we do not adjust our school system to recognize that, we're preparing our children for obsolescence.
0: Just and uh, yeah, I, I and, and I was going to ask you this because you had mentioned something a couple of minutes ago. You said we went from uh the classical to the progressive model, right? Yes. And I think, yes. I think you had mentioned that that began, right, what was the 1960s, 1970s? Yes. And at that time, um, you know, because of our education system being so famous for so long as being the right. best in the world, I'm assuming... That that must have been the beginning of the fall. I'm, I'm yes. as, as as I look at this bottom quartile. Can you tell me who's in the top quartile? Who has taken our place there, and why?
1: Oh, places like Singapore, Finland, and other places around the world have taken uh, our place. They've usurped us. The interesting thing about what happened in Rutherford County. Let me go back and come forward again. Yeah. When Joseph Mamoni pulled Thomas Jefferson Classical Academy forward in a in that model of classical education, it forced the other schools to compete. And Rutherford County schools, which had been marked by the State Board of Education as very low, being a consequence of NAFTA wiping out a lot of our uh, textile uh, dominant communities, uh, the schools were rated very low. After they had to compete with Thomas Jefferson, those schools got better and better and better. So well, competition, competition brings out. more quality. Yes, it always does. Yep. You know, uh, so if you have what John Stuart Mill said over 100 years ago, he said, We all agree that every child, this is not an exact quote, but close to, we all agree that every child should have a wonderful, good education. And to get there, we all agree that the government should gather up tax money to pay for that. But once the government controls the tax money, it will become a one size fits all program of education. And we'll spend the rest of our life arguing over what should be taught rather than the act of teaching. Wow. And that's what's happened. You know, if you've got more than one child, you love them equally and you give them all you can, but they are very different. And yet, if you've got only one approach to raising your children, one of the children is going to do okay, but the rest are not. Um, you've got to recognize uh, the differences in children, and our system does not allow for that. Um, so we've overwhelmed... Our teachers. All of our teachers that I have ever met are wonderful, committed, dedicated people who are basically on a mission to educate children. And I love them. But the system so constrains them that they cannot achieve their mission. And we have increasing discontent among the teaching ranks in our culture.
0: I would agree with just in everyone that I talked to um, yeah. on on the campaign trail that is in the teaching profession very frustrated we've lost 400 teachers in CMS so far I think in the last 2 years correct um so you know I've I've spent my business uh, uh career um in financial services and banking um, so when you say competition, I think school choice is going to it's going to literally lift all of the schools because once they have to compete with one another, uh, then they get better and they get better and they get better. That's just that just makes sense. Um, but I heard I heard a, a term that I'm not familiar with. And because I've come from banking, it's uh, it's a question I have for you. And what is the banking theory? of education.
1: Oh, that was uh, glibly presented, but it's an accurate description of what goes on in a lot of education today. Imagine you are my teacher and I am your student. You discourse information to me all week long and I make notes. You have deposited information for me. Oh, okay. And then on Friday, you give me a test and I fill out that test. That's writing a check. I make a withdrawal from my account. You grade my test, you pass me or don't pass me. We move on again next week and we play the game again. Interesting. So, but next week I wipe my memory clean of what happened the prior week because ah. it's not connected. It's not related. We are teaching disconnected bits of information. Interesting. And because it's not connected, there's no sequential process of learning going on. The outcome of which is our learning goes an inch deep and a mile wide. And we're not getting students well developed intellectually so that they learn how to be critical thinkers. It's kind of like a jack of that. all
0: trades and master yeah. of nothing.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So the banking theory of education is just a game we play. Whereas in classical education, as Dorothy Sayers would tell you in her monograph called The Lost Tools of Learning, learning works with the brain development of the child. When kids are K to four or one to four, they are concrete thinkers. They don't understand concepts. You can present a concept to them all day long, and it doesn't make any sense because they're right. concrete thinkers. And it's during that period of time that you focus on all the rules of grammar, the grammar of English, the grammar of math, the grammar of history, the grammar of science. The grammar, you know, if I were to say you're, you're a finance guy, if I said nine times nine, you'd spit out 81. If I said six times six, you'd spit out 36. You don't have to go to a calculator. You know that number. Yep. that's the grammar in english we have grammar it's called the alphabet vowels consonants, syllables you know that because it's, you've been trained to understand that and that is foundational to the english language science has the periodic table and on you go on you go now modern educators have told me kids don't need grammar and logic anymore because we all have spell check and calculators hello We're not gonna develop the mind. Now, here's something that I hope you'll find funny. I think it was tragic and funny, a consequence of this. And it's my supposition, not uh, established fact. But about four or five years ago, the Spanish were getting ready to launch a nuclear submarine. And the news report said they couldn't launch it because the sub was designed wrong. It did not have enough displacement to float. It was too short for the weight it carried So it would go off the pier, out into the ocean, go down, and not come up again. In other words, the engineers and the mathematicians that were designing that sub calculated some numbers wrong. So the submarine was too short. And they basically built a billion-dollar anchor. Oh, my gosh. A billion-dollar anchor. They had to shave off, cut off the nose of the sub add 15 feet or some number to it so Mm -hmm. it created enough displacement so the sub would refloat now how do you get there i'm this is my supposition the engineers and the mathematicians that were building the sub they used a calculator they put all the numbers in hit the button and it told them the the conclusion they plugged that number into their plans and they built the sub accordingly when i use a calculator mark i know numbers And I can look at the conclusion and go, wait a minute, that's got to be wrong. I must have fat fingered a number in my calculation. Right. I punched the calculator because I know numbers. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't know numbers, I would take the conclusion that was offered to me by the calculator, plug it in and build a sub that becomes an anchor rather than a submarine. That's the cost in business terms. Yes. Not doing classical education.
0: Wow, that is and, and I think that draws a a perfect picture, and you're right. it is tragic and funny at the same time. yes and, and you ha, you have talked about this, and now I am absolutely would love to get a kind of an encapsulation. you you talked about classical education. how does it work? I mean,
1: how does classical well, education actually work? classical education recognizes every subject has its own grammar, its own logic, and its own rhetoric um so the grammar is, what you more heavily focus on in the K four or five years. Even though it's not exclusively your focus, you more heavily focus on it. Then in middle school years, when kids start thinking conceptually and struggle with ideas. And if you have kids, you understand how hard those years can be. Absolutely. They're difficult as they're trying to make sense out of the world conceptually, and it doesn't make sense. But during those years, in the educational process, you more heavily focus, not exclusively, but more heavily on the logic, the dialectic process. So kids learn how to think. And then in the high school years, when every kid is consumed with self-expression, you know, we're all worried about, are we wearing the right clothes, saying the right things, doing the right things, self-expression. Then you focus more heavily, again, not exclusively, but more heavily on the arts. So that through the sequence from Grammar school, we used to call elementary schools grammar schools when we taught grammar. Yep. Uh, from grammar school to middle school to high school, learning is cumulative, sequential, interrelated, and ever deepening versus disconnected bits of information. Progressive education throws disconnected bits of information at kids' heads all day long. In a classical school, for example, uh, kids will learn Latin. What? People say, Latin's a dead language. Why would we do that? Wait. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Latin is the language of law and science. And foundational. It's foundational to the English language. All Romance languages come out of Latin. And if you want to understand your own language, you need to go to its roots. So here's a data point. 1998, average verbal SAT score in America was 505. Kids that had Latin, 657. Wow. One of my uh, boards that I created for school had a college dean on it, and um, he said to me, you know, Marty, when I was a young man, I did not know that I would have a future in academics. I had to go to high school and college, but in, in, in elementary school and high school, I was given Latin. And I thought, well, what's that for? Yeah. And he learned Latin. He ends up becoming an academic. He's a dean. He reads doctoral thesis papers and has to pass upon them. And he said, Marty, one day I'm reading this doctoral thesis paper, and the student had put two words on one page I'd never seen before. I figured out what they meant and kept reading. Then I realized, wait a minute. If I define those words wrong, this paper is different. So he said, I got out my dictionary, looked the words up, said, 'Ah, I was right because I had Latin. I knew what words mean, how to understand words. Um, So Latin is foundational in a classical education. In a classical education, some schools start history back in ancient Egypt and take it all the way up to America. Mm. Some schools start in America and take it all the way back to ancient Egypt, but it's connected. There's a sequence to the learning process. And that sequence is ever deepening, ever interrelated. Uh, So classical education simply teaches you how to think. And how
0: you- to think. And, and it's funny because I a lot of people um, that I am, you know, I, I'm campaigning saying we need to teach kids how to think, not what to think. I guess it's and that's a simple way to say it because you you kind of know that's where we are have gone wrong, but you've described it exactly, um, I think in a in a much more broad way, which <laughs> tells you what does that mean? It's classical education, and I would say versus the banking theory of education. I remember so many times my kids are like, I got to learn all this. I've got to learn all this um, information and then going to get it my test. And then, yeah, you're right. It's a data dump. It's delete. I don't ever need to remember any of this again. And there's no
1: sequence like you just mentioned. Yeah. And here's here's a data point for you, Mark. Because of what I do, initially I was doing private schools and and I could only do private schools because at the time I was doing that, North Carolina did not allow more charter schools. I'm not a private school kid. I'm a public school kid. i wanted more the opportunity to touch public education. So now I can, in the course of doing so, a very wealthy foundation in the Midwest got hold of what I was doing and said, Hey, Marty, go out and look at some schools in Arizona called Great Hearts Academies. Your listeners can look this up. It's called Great Hearts, H-E-A-R-T-S-A-Z.org. Then Uh, Go around the website, look at academics, and look at outcomes and results. These schools are all over Arizona. They're spreading into Texas. Um, They're all the low-income kids in the communities, some middle-income, a little bit of upper-income. They're all the minorities. And here's, uh, I'm going to read to you the data points on the graduating class. The average SAT score was 141 points above the national average. The average ACT score was 5.9 points above the national average. The average graduate, well, 79% of their graduates earned some merit aid to go to college. All of their graduates went to college. That's incredible. The average, uh, there were 613 graduates last year sharing $63 million of merit aid. Now, you know that was not equally divided. Right. So some kids were probably offered two or three hundred thousand and some kids thirty or forty thousand. Uh but nonetheless, nonetheless kids going to that school system could look at mom and dad and say, Hey, I got money to go to college. <sighs> Hello. If that doesn't have your attention, your listeners are asleep. You know, um that's
0: incredible. I mean, I, I think about the fact that, well, obviously, school choice, school choice, school choice keeps ringing in my ears. And they, these are different ways of doing it. And, you know, it, uh, I don't know, it's it's. It, I talked a lot of gloom at the beginning of this, but mm-hmm. you're, you're showing me solid examples, even near here in
1: Rutherford County, solid examples of stuff that works in the public school systems. When I started this work, because I could only do class uh private education. Uh, I had a fa- uh, a philanthropist get by me to help form a few more schools. Uh, I re- read a book Classical Education Subtitled The Movement Sweeping America by Ethan Kern. And these people were researching does this model of education actually work? Is classical actually valid? So they called the first school in this renewing movement of classical education, which sometimes goes by the word traditional education or American education. Okay. <laughs> Uh, They called the first school in the movement and said, how are you guys doing academically? And they said, well, the average SAT score here last year was in the 96th percentile of the nation. Mark, that means the dummies were in the 92nd percentile of the nation. I wish I had such an education when I was a child. Then they called another school, uh, and that one was in Idaho. They called a school in Texas uh, that was classical uh, in this case, again, a Christian and classical school. And they said to that school, how are you doing academically? And they said, we gave our kid, the kids we've had all K-8 years, not those who came in in the middle of the process, but the kids who had all eight years with us, we gave them the SATs to see if, how we're doing. So we find out whether we're preparing them properly for high school. Those eighth graders had an average SAT score of 140 points above the national average of 12th graders. Eighth graders beating 12th graders. That's incredible. It's because they've been taught classically. They've been taught how to learn and how to think. That's the point of a classical education. Um, Our modern system is an assembly line which fit for the industrial age when we were developing workers. We're no longer uh, developing people to work that way. We need thinkers. Yes. Yes. So our system is out of sorts with the needs of our people and our companies and our governments. It's really just out of sorts. We have wonderful people all through the system, Mark, but the system itself gets broken. Mark, I share with people all the time an old sociological truth, and it is this. The idea that creates the institution will be destroyed by the institution. You can look at government entities, corporate entities, civic entities, political parties. They all morph and change over a period of time sometimes losing their mission in the process mm-hmm. right um, that has become the case in our public system much like you know in main, many of our mainline denominations are so top heavy with bureaucrats the churches have become anemic right our organizational structure in our public school system has so many bureaucrats that oftentimes teachers are intruded upon by bureaucrats constantly and they're not free to enter into the act of teaching. Now, these people are all doing what they're told is right and good, and they're good people. But the system itself has become so overburdened that right, it must right. be must be changed or it loses. Five years ago, six years ago, after UNCC opened its new uh, building in downtown Charlotte, you know, that building that looks like shoeboxes stacked on top right, of right. Uh, you know, there was an educational meeting Uh, superintendents and school boards from surrounding counties in Mecklenburg County were in the auditorium there for a meeting on education. And um, some of the state legislator legislators were present from the various education committees in the Senate and the House. And I remember a person getting the microphone and asking the superintendent of another county that was at the microphone, so what do you think about charter schools? And that superintendent correctly said, Well, they were started in Minneapolis and they really aren't doing very well. Uh, They're underperforming on and on and on. And I went to the microphone immediately and said, sir, I have visited those schools in Minneapolis in the last six months. I went out and visited them. I visited with the administrators, the teachers, parents and students, and they're taking the kids the public school does not want. And with 60 cents of the traditional public school dollar they are outperforming the public schools. I said, sir, you are welcome to your opinion, but not your facts. That's uh, uh, well, I guess that was his truth. (laughs) Uh, That was that you could say that was his truth. Yeah. yeah. But I I, examined it and you know, it didn't fit his narrative. And that's popular thing to say today. Yeah. and, And support their narrative, even when the facts don't line up, you know, Mark, uh, when the facts take you yeah. in a different direction, you have to go in that direction. Marty, the, the last question I have for
0: you, and I know the answer, I know I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I'm hoping you'll you'll dig down and, and give me a, like some concrete, um, uh, I guess, uh, practical things that we can do. Uh, and it's my magic wand question. I always say, you know, um, if you had a magic wand and let's say, let's look at Mecklenburg County, let's look at the state of North Carolina, you know, if you had a magic wand, you could propel our education system, first of all, the United States, out of the bottom quartile into the top quartile. But better yet, get these failing schools to, to start exceeding expectations. Um, what are the first or second things that you would do? Again, you're in charge. You get to be in charge of the education system in our state, or maybe you're the superintendent of, of CMS. What are the first
1: couple of things that you would do right out of the gate to change that? Uh- well, CMS is too big to be effective. It becomes ham-handed. Um, you know, I break it you. up. Yes. I will tell you, and their philosophy of education is broken, too. Uh, as I said to Howard Hallworth, the former now deceased, a wonderful friend, Howard Hallworth was chairman emeritus of the State Board of Education when I got to know him, and he acknowledged to me that the public system was so badly broken, it cannot be fixed, and I was very abrupt and i said howard other than breaking the philosophy of education and the management of education you have nothing left to break Uh, and said these are our children how can you do this um that was abrupt Now i didn't mean to be that abrupt with him he was a friend Uh, but the point here is if we could make the school system small and responsive uh, and take a lot of the administrators out of the corporate structure of the school administration the bureaucracy. Putting that money into principal salaries and teacher salaries to improve the quality of support we give those who are doing the work of education and stop busing. Now, I was a great fan of busing through the 70s and 80s and 90s, but we've achieved our goal. Every neighborhood in Charlotte, and I go in the wealthiest neighborhoods and the poorest neighborhoods, is integrated. Every neighborhood is integrated. But the neighborhoods don't know their principals or their teachers anymore. So the schools are not supported. And if you're in a poor neighborhood, you cannot afford to go across town to where your kid is bused for school. That means you're excluded from the educational process of your child. So we should stop busing. Put that money into teacher salaries, into school buildings and educational materials. Support every school as if it is a cathedral for learning. And the principals are the leaders of our community and the teachers are revered. But if you've got so much administration that's sucking up all that money instead of putting it in principal salaries and teacher salaries, you're hurting yourself. You're shooting yourself in the foot. I would want, if I was in charge, I'd eliminate somehow or another, figure out, I'd sit down with a couple COO types and some others, how to reduce the size of CMS administration by 80 or 90% put that money into teacher salaries and principal salaries. Wow. Shrink CMS into three or four different school districts. Yes. So it's responsive to the community. Uh, We'd be well down our way to creating schools that kids are engaged with. Mark, a number of years ago, I met the former director of dropout prevention for CMS and this horrified me. He said, we, he said, Mark, I want to meet you over at Trinity Episcopal. So we met and we walked around and we talked and he said, Marty, you know what the dirty little secret inside public education is? I said, no, what's the dirty little secret? He said, we can tell you by third grade how many prison cells we have to build. Oh, my gosh. That made me live it. That that made me me sick. See, because Mark, I come at this from a perspective not all your listeners do, but I look at all these children, every one of them is God's children, all of them. They may not see themselves that way, but I see them that way, and they all deserve a great opportunity. And if you have not taught a child by third grade how to read, the rest of their time in school, they're playing catch up. They're falling further behind. And those with a backbone say, to heck with this, I'm out of here. And I go, oh, my Lord, he just jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart. Um, See, classical education teaches you how to read. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you spend the rest of your life engaged. But if you don't know how to read, you're disengaged. And that goes on throughout our school system. So, bloated
0: bureaucracies to classical education. And I think we have got the solutions. We just have to have the backbone, like you said, uh, to implement this. And uh, gosh, Marty, this has been a a great conversation. I I can't thank you enough
1: um, for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, Mark. And I wish you the very best on the campaign trail. Knowing your philosophy of education, I fervently hope you are elected well thank you so much marty until next
0: time have a great day everybody and always be on the lookout for the elephant in the room